You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. We're praising Jesus in this place today, amen. It's all about Him. It always has been, and it always will be. Man, I'm so glad that you guys decided to worship with us today. We're going to continue on in that worship, just opening the Word of God. We've been in a series through the book of Song of Solomon, and we've all been waiting for this week. This is the week we have been waiting for. This is honeymoon week. How many of you remember your honeymoon? All right, man. So let me tell you about my honeymoon. We did not have one, and I get reminded of that a lot. And we, like I said, we're about to celebrate 12 years. And for the last 12 years, I have been reminded that we did not have a honeymoon. So I've been trying to catch up for 12 years and I still haven't. So this is, this is my advice to you. When, when you mess up, it takes a long time to, to make that stuff up. So just be, be prepared for that. But man, last week we, we saw the wedding ceremony. We talked about the vow. We talked about how marriage is, it's not a contract, man, it's a covenant. And it's a covenant ordained by God, and we need people fighting for our marriage. And I encourage you to find those people in your life that can fight for your marriage, because as soon as the wedding takes place and the marriage begins, man, the enemy is at you. And we see that in in this country, in our culture, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And it's not because people go into this marriage thing thinking, man, I can't wait to get divorced in a couple of years. That's not what people think. But what we, what we do is we come in with, with some kind of criteria that the world has put on us, some expectations that we bring in, and then we have an enemy who is fighting hard against that marriage. But... What we're going to talk about this morning is how to have great sex. What the Bible says about it, right? Not what Dustin says about it. So I don't want you to think that, hey, this is what Dustin thinks. This is not what I think. This is what the Bible says about it. And what, what I do want us to know is that the world teaches something completely different about sex. The world teaches that it's only physical. The world teaches that the more partners you have, the better. The world teaches that it really doesn't affect anything. And the Bible says that it's way more than physical, that you shouldn't have a lot of partners, and that it affects a lot of stuff in your life. And I don't know about you, but I want to have great sex in my life. And I want it to honor Jesus. And some of you, maybe you're thinking, well, it's kind of weird, man, talking about honoring Jesus and sex. That's kind of weird. And I get it, right? So I've been praying all week that by the end of this message, we will understand what it means in the context of a godly marriage to participate in the gift that he has given us in sex. Now, there's two prerequisites for godly sex. One is it's between a man and a wife that are married. A husband and a wife, and they are married. The second prerequisite is 
They believe and are following Jesus. So it's Christ followers who are married. That's the prerequisite for godly sex. Believers who are married. Now, if you're in this place and you're not a believer, I don't want you to think, well, this isn't for me because this is for you because I believe that one day, as the Spirit draws you, you will say yes to Jesus and then you'll already know what it looks like to have great sex in terms of the Bible. And maybe for some of you, you're like, well, I'm doing this, but I'm not married. And I want you to know that there, there's a danger in that, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But we'll be in Song of Solomon chapter 4, and I'm going to give you the first point right now. The first point is this. Sex is the dessert, not the appetite. What we tend to do as humans is we want to touch, 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 and there, there's no intimacy involved. It's all physical for us. And we're going to see in these first few verses in Song of Solomon chapter 4 that he has the green light to go, right? They are married, but he still takes his time and pursues his wife. So verse 1 says this, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats sleeping down the slope of Gilead. Listen, he starts talking, not immediately touching. When is the last time, husband, I'm talking to you right now. When is the last time that you just talked, that you pursued with your words, that you just said, you know what, I know I have the green light, but I'm just going to pursue and value her, and I'm not just going to run in to touch it. Now listen, I'm preaching to myself too, right? I'm not telling you that I got this all together. I'm telling you that he has the green light, but he's still not in a hurry because he realizes that this is something more than just a physical activity. Love is patient, right? We hear that. And it's said at weddings, but then we get married and we tend to forget that love is still patient. Man, love is patient and we should continuously pursue. And he does this like he has the entire time. He says, your eyes are doves. And he's looking into her eyes. And the Bible says that the eyes are the window to our soul. And what he is essentially saying here is that I want you. I don't want just what I can get from you. No, I want who you are. I want all of you. I'm pursuing you. I'm valuing you. And I'm honoring you. You are the one that I want. And then he says, your hair is like a flock of goats sleeping down the slope of Gilead. This is what I don't want you to do, men, in your spirituality is go home and tell your wife that she looks like her head looks like a goat. That is not what I want you to do. What he is doing is he is saying that she is as beautiful as looking out into this amazing just mountain view and there's some shepherds with their, with their cattle or their goats just grazing and it's just a beautiful picture. And then her hair is let down, which is Hebrew women did not do that in this time. They had their hair up. So she pulled her little messy bun and did like the Pert Plus shake, right? That's what she's doing here. And he's like, man, I love you. I value you. And then in verse 2, he says, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing. So he's talking about her teeth. And it's like, why is she doing that? Well, she's smiling. Like, she's happy. This is a happy time. She's smiling. 
They just came up from the washing, so they're clean. Mouthwash is foreplay, people, so just get, get that in your brain. All of which bear twins, so they're straight teeth, and not one among them has lost its young. She has all her teeth. So this is, this is what he's saying. Everything is good. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. So her veil is coming off. He's starting from the like the top of her head. And I think the intention was to go from head to toe. He gets to like the middle and he stops. Like it stops there. So that's where we're going to end. But he starts here. And we see that we're, she, she's blushing. So that's what he's talking about. But we're three verses in here. And he still hasn't made it below the chin. Because he is pursuing her. He is showing her how valuable she is to him. She's not just a commodity for him. She's not just the the means to some end. She is it for him. He is continuously pursuing her. It's not the first thing he does. This is the dessert. This is the last thing for them. And we've seen how he's pursued and pursued and pursued up to this point. And for me, I'm like, yeah, honeymoon time, pursuit is over. And he's like, no, man, that's, that's not how it goes. You continuously pursue. You don't stop pursuing. Because she, husband, she is yours and you are hers. Y'all become one. And it's way more than just some physical act. And we're going to see that here. But he pursues her before he jumps in. And then verse 4, he says, Your neck is like the tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Again, man, he's not saying like you have the neck of a linebacker or anything like that. He's saying that this tower of David, they would put it at the edge of the city and it would... It's really, people would look at that and they say, well, this city is protected. This is a safe place. And what she's doing is that she, she has this humble confidence about her. And he is saying, man, your humble confidence is beautiful. It is amazing. And if you think back, when we first started this book, she said, hey, I don't really like the way I look because I have a farmer's hand. Don't look at me. And now at this moment, she has a confidence that she is who God has called her to be. Ladies, do you believe that you are who God has called you to be? Are you living in the purpose that God has given you for your life? Verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that gaze among the lilies. So now we're about to move from looking to touching. So he's talking about two little baby deer. Now he's not saying that your breasts are like some furry wildland woodman woodland animals or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying here that you're going to continue to pursue, you're going to continue to honor, you're going to continue to value, and if you wake up in the mountains and you see two baby deer just kind of doing what they do out there, you don't just run in full blast like, oh, 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 oh. Like, like, that's not what we do, man. We're gentle. 
We're gentle, and that's what he's saying. He's going to continue to pursue her. Generally speaking, men are like microwaves, and women are like crockpots. Right? It's like, like, how soon can a guy be ready? Oh, he's ready. Just hit in the number, and he's ready. Women, a little different. You put different ingredients into the crock pot. There's different settings, and you got to kind of stir it sometimes. And it just takes a while before the crock pot gets ready. You say, well, that's not me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement. I'm just saying generally. And it's generally the truth. That's why it's general. So if all of humanity were like men, we'd have billions and billions and billions of people on the earth. And we'd still be in the cave. And we'd be like, uh, I don't really know what to do. You, you want to you go again? Yeah, dude, let's go again. We'll keep making babies. Like, that's what we would do. But if the, if the world was full of the sex drive of nothing but women, generally speaking, we'd have about 11 people on the earth, and we wouldn't be able to do anything. And that's just how it works. Like, God has wired us differently, and it's okay. Like, that's, that's okay. What we have to do is we have to figure out what works in the context of our marriage. We have to figure out what pursuing her looks like, what pursuing him looks like. We have to figure out what it takes to, to really make them feel valued and honored. Like, we have to put in the work in our marriage to figure these things out. And again... I don't know how many of you want to have great sex, but I do. But if you look at Matthew chapter 20, Jesus defines great as serving other people. So when we get down to just the bare bones of great sex, what it is is it's us putting the needs and the wants and the desires of our spouse above our own. It is us serving them. And them serving us, but we don't go into that thinking, hey, well, how are you going to serve me? No, we go into it thinking, how can I serve you? How can I value you and pursue you? Point number two is this. Sex is not just a physical activity. It is a spiritual connection. Verse six, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. What he's saying is, I'm here with you all night. I'm not going anywhere this is not just a physical activity. There will be some cuddling afterwards. There'll be whatever you want afterwards. And this is the word, the Hebrew word for love here is dode, which means the mingling of souls. And he is saying, this isn't just some physical thing that's happening. This is two people coming together. The mingling of souls together becoming one. Man, this world has it so messed up. Teaching that, man, the, the more partners you have, the better off you are. The more experience you have, the better you will be. And let me just tell you, let me show you this statistic really quick. I won't show it to you because I didn't put it up here, but I will tell you. That the most sexually satisfied people in America are middle-aged, church-going believers who are married. Statistically proven. And this is why, because they understand that it's more than just a physical activity. It is the mingling 
of souls. It is a spiritual connection. Now, this next verse, I've said this verse more this week than I've ever said in my life, to the point where my wife was like, don't, don't say this verse to me anymore. But man, if you've never memorized a Bible verse, memorize this one today and say it to your wife. Verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Listen, we're going to see that she, she was a virgin. She had never been with anybody. She is now naked for the first time in front of someone. And our only response to our naked spouse is, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. That is our only response to our naked spouse. Because the world already tells them that they aren't beautiful enough. And I don't know, husband, I don't know if your wife is this way, but my wife, she she fixes her hair up and she, she's looking in the mirror and she's like, I don't know if this matches. And I'm like, I think it looks good. And she's like, but look at you, bro. Like, I'm not taking your fashion tips at all. So, and man, I'm telling her all the time, like, I think you're beautiful. I think, like, you're amazing. But, the world has conditioned our women to believe that they're not beautiful because they don't look certain ways. So no matter what the shape is, no matter what the, the height is, no matter what is going on, your wife, husband, is your standard of beauty. So what she looks like, that's what you're into. And your response to her is that you're altogether beautiful. There is no flaw in you. Your spouse, and we said this a couple weeks ago, but your spouse is your only legitimate source of romance. You get it nowhere else. It is your spouse and your spouse alone. And you're into the way that she looks because she is yours. So that is your standard of beauty. So she is altogether beautiful and there is no flaw in her. Husbands, the more your wife feels this verse from you, the more sex you will have. Just throwing that out there. Verse 8, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. So there's a lot going on here. But he talks about a lot of peaks. You can understand what that means. But he's saying that I know that this is a dangerous place. You've never been in this type of situation before. This is, this is vulnerability for you. And he's saying, when you, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how dangerous things get, when you walk into the bed, the bed chambers, this is a safe place for you. And husband and wife should feel like the bedroom is a safe place for them. There are things that me and Ashley talk about when we're naked, that I never thought I would talk about with anyone while I was naked. And that just happens when you're married because you become best friends with that person. Because there's no shame, there's no guilt. It is the way that God had designed sex to be. And it's a safe place. See, this isn't just, I'm not just trying to see what I can take from you. Like, that's not what this is about. How can I serve you is the posture that we should go into this with. It's not a taking posture. The only taking is I want to take care.
care of you. This is a safe place for you. We're not just servicing one another. This isn't just physical. It's really a reflection of, of God the Creator. This is a way for us to participate in creation with the Creator God. And it's not just for creation. He loves us enough that He said, hey, here's a, here's a good gift from me to you for procreation and for recreation. Enjoy this. This should be fun between two believers in marriage. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Now, he calls her my sister, my bride a lot, and he's not from Alabama. Like, that's not what this is. He is saying that we are of the same faith. Like, we are of the same faith. They are both believers. And he, he's calling her that. And this, women, this is, this is the fundamental question that men have, right? We want to know that we, we have what it takes. Like we're asking every day, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be the man that God has called me to be? Do I have what it takes to be the husband that God has called me to be? Do I have what it takes? And I know that, again, the generality is get, like guys can be ready and all they like sex is like always on the top of their brain. But I do think that gets overplayed a little bit because we don't just want like the, the physical love. Like we want to be loved by you. We want to know that, that we really do have what it takes. See, God has given us an opportunity to love and to serve one another in the context of sex. And what happens is our hearts and our souls, they connect with one another. And any time any rejection comes in, what it does is it dings, it dings people. And I'm not saying that every time your husband goes to you and says, it's time, I'm ready, that you have to say yes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that human nature is once we're rejected for anything, then the next time we go for that, we go a, a little weaker. And then we get rejected again and we go a little weaker to the point where eventually we say it's not worth trying anymore. And we're going we're gonna to finish up in just a little while with more of this, but there, there's a way that you can say no and maybe provide some instruction right? Because we need help. We really never graduated from like ninth grade emotional level. So we need help. You can give us instruction. You can say, hey, so I really do appreciate the pursuit. Thank you for honoring and valuing me. But like right before I'm walking out to, to Carline is not the best time to do this. So let me give you an idea of when a good time is. Like you can give some instruction. And you can say, hey, so I'm not telling you no. I'm just telling you not right now, here's a better time. Like, you have those conversations. Those conversations are important. Here's point number three. Sex should be worship, not just work. Now, I'm not saying that you should be singing worship songs during sex. I want to be very clear about that. It's not, you're good, good. Like, we're not singing while we're doing it. That's not what this is. But verse 10 says this, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my brother. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? And what he's saying is that in, in ancient time, wine 
was used as the evidence of God's goodness. And he's saying, for all the good wine that there is, you are more beautiful and you are greater than that. You are the best gift that God has given me. That you're better than any of that wine. He's saying that sex is a gift from God. Again, sex isn't gross, but it's also not God. It's a gift from God. In the context of marriage. And like, this is crazy to the world we live in, right? But sex doesn't just terminate on itself. Like, there's way more to it than that. It's not just just having some physical activity and leaving. No, this is a way for us to, to understand that it is a gift from God. And through that gift, we thank Him, we worship Him because of the gift that He has given us. Because He really is a good Father who loves to give good gifts. Again, do not sing worship songs during. It's not good. Verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments, like the fragrance of Lebanon. So they're kissing. They got some kissing going on, man. And look, look what it says. It says, honey and milk are under your tongue. So this ain't a pecking kind of kiss. Some people would say this is the French kiss. But French wasn't like France wasn't even like it wasn't even here then, right? So I I call this a Hebrew kiss because like sloppy wet kisses are biblical. So when I go to kiss my wife, I'm gonna tell her, hey, the Bible says this is the way we're supposed to do it, and we follow Jesus here. Like, that's what we do in my house. So verse twelve, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. What she's saying here is that the, the garden is the anatomy of her body and is saying that it's been locked up, so it's a private garden, not a public park. That's important. And then he says, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choices, fruits, henna with nard, nard, and saffron, calamus, and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water flowing streams from Lebanon. So what he's saying is this, that you, man, you meet all of my wants, all of my needs, like this is it. And then he is very graphically describing in verse 15 that she is ready. Like she is ready for him. So all of this, pursuing, 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 he continuously speaks kindness to her. He's continuously valuing her. He's continuously just showing her how amazing and beautiful she is. And now she's ready. The crock pot is ready. Like it's, it's time. And if you remember, three times so far we've seen do not arouse or awaken love. And now it's time to awaken it. Verse 16 says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. This is what that means. This is Hebrew for let's get it on. That's what he is saying. It is time to go. See, the north wind was really rough 
wind, and then the south wind was a gentle breeze. So it doesn't always have to be rough. It doesn't always have to be gentle. Y'all got to figure it out. How do y'all want it to be? It's important to communicate. And then we see, she says this, let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choicest fruit. This is what I want you to know. She's responsive to him. She is responsive. This isn't offense, defense type thing going on. This isn't he's on offense, she's on defense, or vice versa. No, this is a team working together. And she is responsive to him. He says, hey, let's go. And she says, come on. Like, this is, this is how it's going. And then we see the first verse of chapter 5, and there's two different camps here. Some camps think that this is just her friends, which is weird to me that if they'd be standing outside listening, like, yeah, go, Solomon, you're amazing. Like, that's weird. The other camp thinks it's God. That's the camp I'm in. And he says this in the, the end of verse 1 says this. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. See, God is for your marriage. You need to know that God is for your marriage. And the key to great sex, it isn't how acrobatic you can be. It isn't how much it happens. It isn't any of that stuff. It is serving one, of, one another out of our submission to God. It is serving one another. It's not what can I get, it's what can I give to you. See, if you have a problem in the bedroom, again, I don't think it's just a, I don't think it's a problem of, of sexual stuff. I think it's a gospel problem. I think we don't realize the, the implication of the gospel. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And all submit means is that I'm going to make your deal a bigger deal than my deal. Right? I know that we don't, we don't really like that word, submit. But all submit is saying is that, man, I'm going to make your deal a bigger deal than my deal. And when we do that, our relationship completely changes. We begin to love our spouse and serve our spouse in ways that we never would imagine. We're going to close with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read you some verses here that you are not allowed to quote or use at home. This isn't for you to do that. They're in here for me to preach and for you to just kind of meditate on. But you're not allowed to use these, especially men, you can't. Starting in verse 3, it says this, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's writing a letter to believers, to the church. And this is, about, this is about marriage, and this is specifically about sex. And he starts, verse 3, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. I'm not real sure why that verse is in there because most of the time we give our wife her con if she wants to have sex, we'll do it. Like no matter what. It's all good. I could be in the middle of whatever and she's like, You won't do it, and I'm like, Yep, this can wait. I'll pay whatever I gotta pay. I'll whatever the I'm I'm ready. But maybe it's in there because he does say, and likewise, the wife to her husband. 
Now, I don't want you to hear that every time your husband comes to you and wants sex that you have to say yes. That's not what I'm saying. Remember the totality of this series, right? I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that we have to begin to communicate in a way that we are on the same page when it comes to sex. We have to be on the same page. Verse 4 says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Then it says, Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Basically, Paul's saying, you have become one. When you said, I do, you gave her everything. You gave him everything. You gave them all of you. You are one. And then verse 5, it says, do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another. Except, perhaps by agreement for a limited time, may devote yourselves to prayer. So maybe you're like, yeah, not right now. If you want to pray, I'll pray with you. That's cool. Just remember, God said, hey, don't don't be Jesus when he was preaching about prayer. He said, keep it short. Um, don't throw up these crazy fancy words. And then you come back together again. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, I'm not giving anybody any excuse for stepping outside of their marriage, for having sexual sin. That's not what this is about. This does not give anybody an excuse for doing that. But the Bible is really clear. Don't deprive one another. Don't deprive one another. So I would dare you, I would dare you to do this as your homework this week. Ask your spouse, do you? Do you feel deprived? And usually, the, the, the wife answer is usually something to do with romance and value. Yes, I do feel deprived because there's no romance. You don't value me. The men answer. They'll say some stuff. Just listen to them. And then I want you to ask this one. How can we improve our sex? I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about it. That men, they're going to give you a one, a one word answer probably. It's going to be more. Right? And that's a legitimate answer. So just instruct them. Help them know how to pursue you so that that happens more. And husband, your wife is going to, she's going to tell you some things that she feels. Listen to her. Don't tell her how she's supposed to feel. We're going to talk about that a little more next week. It's not our responsibility to tell her how she should feel. She feels a certain way. We should validate those feelings. Listen to her. Here's the the point, man. We see in the beginning of Scripture, there's a wedding and there's a war devil attacks. As soon as the wedding takes place, he attacks. And there's a war going on. And it hasn't stopped. He is fighting against your marriage. So I thought really hard, like, how are we going to close a message like this? Um, 
And this is it. This is what I want to do for us. Because I think that maybe some of us in this room, we just need to hit the reset button. And we just need to hit the reset button in our marriages. We need to shift our marriages back Some of you, there's some sin that's just just haunting you. Maybe it's past sin before you were married, and you just brought that into your relationship, and it's just like a, a ghost. It just won't leave you. Well, maybe it was a sin that happened after you were married, and there's just there's guilt and shame, and it just won't leave you. Maybe for some of you, you were sinned against. It wasn't anything that you did. Maybe someone did something you need healing and you've never experienced that thrill of healing. And here's the good news about Jesus is that Jesus is the source of forgiveness and the source of healing. And we can lay it all down. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jesus, before he started his public ministry, like he's the carpenter. He's really good at taking broken things and putting them back together. That's what he does. So some of you, maybe your marriages are just barely hanging on. And maybe you don't have great sex because you're just not practicing enough. And maybe you're not practicing enough because you're not pursuing enough. And maybe you're not pursuing enough because there's some kind of sin going on in your life. There's some kind of... um, just something blocking the communication with your spouse and my prayer, my hope for us at Impact Church is that we become a people who are chasing Jesus together as married couples. Because I think it's so powerful. I think it's so powerful for a community to see a biblical, godly marriage. That we're chasing Jesus together. So whatever it is for you, whatever your response to the gospel is this morning, maybe for you, you've never said yes to Jesus, and today is the day. Maybe you want to have really great sex. Now, I would not recommend that the only reason you say yes to Jesus is so you can have great sex. That's, that's probably not a good idea. But if that's how the Spirit is drawing you, then praise God that that's how the Spirit is drawing you in this place. But for some of you, maybe today you need to say yes to Jesus. For others of you, you need to pray for that past sin. You need to to just confess and repent. For some of you, you need to pray for healing because you've never allowed God to take that that pain and that brokenness away from you. Whatever it is this morning, and I pray that we respond to the gospel. Let's stand together. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.